on the afternoon on the afternoon of October 4th, 1918, during World War I, German soldiers saw something emerge from the woods where they knew a few hundred American soldiers were hunkered down. Immediately, the soldiers began firing, attempting to shoot this allied enemy. And interestingly enough, the enemy they were shooting at was a pigeon. Now, that might seem silly to you, but it wasn't silly to them because this wasn't a mistake and it wasn't an ordinary pigeon. It was a carrier pigeon. And it had been sent to carry an important message back to headquarters, a message that could potentially save the lives of a few hundred American soldiers. But what difference could one simple, desperate message really make? Could a carrier pigeon really accomplish that much? After all, it's just a pigeon. It's reminded of this story for our text today, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, because I think that we might, as Christians, identify with the simplicity of a pigeon carrying a small message when we consider uh, the opportunity and possibility of prayer for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Let's read our text, Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Three points from this passage today. The first is persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. Let's see this right in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let's be honest, right? How easy is it to struggle in prayer? Prayer is an act of faith, trusting God who we cannot see, to work in circumstances that we cannot control in ways that we cannot understand. And yet we're called to pray. And then, after all of that, we wait to see the result, uh, if we are able to visibly see any. Sometimes when we fail to see the physical result, we see that uh, circumstances change, or we wonder if it has, and we can be discouraged. We could start to question, did God really hear? Did God really answer this? Prayer is an act of faith, and any act of faith becomes difficult. Just by nature it is. How common it is to struggle in prayer. If it wasn't common to struggle in prayer, even for believers, the Bible wouldn't constantly call us back to prayer. Did you ever think about that? When we have repeated commands, repeated instructions towards something, that's because God knows that we need repeated reminders. 
We struggle with consistency in prayer, making it a regular part of our lives, a regular part of our days. We also struggle with continuing to pray for certain things. Uh, Even when we pray regularly, there's just so much to pray for. I mean, life is busy. (laughs) There are many things to do. Uh, Life is busy, and there are so many things to pray for. And the thought of it overwhelms me. Does it overwhelm you? So many people, so many ministries, so many requests for myself and for others. So we get overwhelmed. And sometimes when we get overwhelmed by something, we sometimes respond by simply not praying. In Luke 18, we read these words from Jesus. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord says, so the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, you and I are the widow. You and I are the pigeon simple message that we offer? What difference would that make? Why would anybody listen to us, let alone God? God is not an unrighteous judge who has no relationship, who is annoyed at the one who is coming. God is a father who loves and delights to hear from his children, those whom he knows personally. That's how Jesus is using this absurd example because we're far more important to him than just some widow who was overlooked and abused in society. And he is the opposite of an unrighteous, uncaring judge. But if even that guy would listen, how much more will our Father in heaven? This parable is a call for us to take heart in prayer and to persist in it to keep praying and to keep calling ourselves and calling each other back to prayer. Calling ourselves. Have I prayed about that? Calling each other. Have you prayed about that? I prayed for you. Will you pray for me? Because as we all know, prayer should be a regular part of our lives. Right? Any of us are like, I really doubt that looking at this text, you're like, what? I'm supposed to pray? I had no idea, right? When you read the text, if you read the email, I could see if you read the email because it's metrics and all that. I don't look. Sometimes I look. I didn't look today, this week. But I know if you looked, if you looked and you saw the text, maybe you were like, oh, great. This, as one, uh, one of dear brothers here is like, well, you came after me as a husband and you came after me as a father and came after me as an employer, now you're going to come, as an employee, now you're going to come after me about prayer. So glad. Come to church. Hit on every side. Uh, That's not the point of this. We all know that we should pray more. My goal is not to 
discourage or chastise us. You'll, you'll see in a few minutes, I have a very different goal. Prayer should be a regular part of our lives, a more regular part of my life. I mean, how, how will we constantly enjoy our fellowship with our Father in heaven if not through prayer? That, that's, that's just the question that I have. I must pray. But like, I, like I must go out on dates with Leanne? Like I must spend time with my children? Like, like I must spend time with you? have to, right? But if we know about the, the fellowship that we're called to with our Father, like what does that fellowship mean if it's not expressed back from us in prayer? God's ear, I don't know how you think about prayer, but the way that the Bible talks about it is that God's ear is bent down toward us to hear our prayers. He leans in. God doesn't have an ear. God doesn't have to bend. It's for our sake. It's an illustration. But his ear is bent down toward us to hear our prayers. May he teach us to call out to him. And Paul's instruction to us is that we continue steadfastly in prayer. As we read about the early church in Acts, here are two passages, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, describing the early believers following Christ's ascension, following the Holy Spirit coming on them. When the New Testament church is is instituted, there's a refrain that echoes Paul's words here, where in Acts 1.14, just after the ascension, it says this, all of his disciples with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Then in Acts 2, verse 42, following Pentecost, 3,000 new believers added and the church of Jesus Christ formally began. Luke writes that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. In both of these passages, devoting themselves is the same word that we find here in Colossians as continue steadfastly. You don't persist or endure in something without applying yourself to it. Right? Endurance does not happen accidentally. It does not happen um, naturally. It, it happens through effort. And so they devoted themselves. They, they committed themselves to that. And we are, we are to persist. We are to continue steadfastly calling ourselves back to prayer and continuing to engage in it. And as we devote ourselves to prayer and as we persist or continue steadfastly in it, we also need a mindset of watchfulness. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. This speaks of minds and hearts that are aware, that are alert, and and an awareness, uh, a wakefulness, a watchfulness, an alertness, promotes persistence in prayer. We need to be alerted to our need for prayer. Do you know that you, you don't just need to pray because it's a thing you ought to do? Like, you need prayer. We need prayer because there's spiritual warfare going on around us. That battle between the domain of of darkness and the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, that warfare still goes on. And we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual places. There's a true, dangerous, 
spiritual war going on that we're involved in? Who's sufficient for these things? Not me, not you, but Christ is sufficient. So we need prayer. You are in danger. You are in need of help. And you individually, you're not the only one who is in danger. All of us are equally in danger from the evil one. So we need to be watchful of each other and aware of each other's needs. And as we are aware of needs, we pray for those needs. And we persist in praying. So watchful, we open our eyes, not just... Not just for the things of this world and not just for the things of myself, although pray for our daily bread, pray for others' daily bread. Pray for our deliverance from temptation, pray for others' deliverance from temptation. We must be aware of our own needs, we must be aware of each other's needs, and we must also be aware of God in our prayers. What's the point of prayer if we're not aware of God, right? We are not alone in the battles that we face. Our faithful, merciful, powerful God hears and answers the prayers of his people. You could have had an amen there, just in case you're, we'll say, we'll try again. Our faithful, merciful, powerful God hears and answers the prayers of his people. There we go. Good, good. Our trust in God will be demonstrated not just in coming to him in prayer, persisting in it, being watchful in it, but a trust in God results in a, in a thankfulness in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul's talked about thanksgiving all the way from the outset of this letter where he gave thanks and he called on them to give thanks and, and he called on them to give thanks again in verse 17. And he calls for us to be praying with thanksgiving, with thankfulness. And maybe we think of giving thanks like after a prayer has been answered, if we remember you like me? We ask and ask and ask. And like the nine, we just kind of go on our way, forget to come back and give thanks. May we be more like the one. Thank you for hearing an answer. But this isn't just that. This isn't just giving thanks after the fact, when we've received what we've asked for. What about giving thanks before a prayer has been answered? persisting and being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving while we ask. Because if God really hears and answers our prayers, and if God really acts perfectly for his glory and for the good of his people, then we can bring all of our requests to him and then feel a sense of excitement and feel and have a spirit of thanksgiving, having peace and joy from the Holy Spirit, knowing confidently that God will act in accordance with his perfect will, that he will answer that prayer and will do it perfectly. And if you're confident that your prayer that you offered will be answered perfectly by a powerful God, how can you not be thankful in offering the request? God hears, God answers, we're thankful, even as we ask, even before we see the answer. We can be thankful for these things. I mean, can there be any higher form of prayer than to thank God for his answer before we know what that answer is? Because even though we don't know the answer, we know the God who answers. And we know that he 
is perfect, his answer will be perfect. We can ask with thanksgiving. This is Paul rejoices in the glorification of the saints when not a single saint has yet been glorified. But he rejoiced in that because it was a certainty because of the faithfulness of God. Do we have that spirit of watchfulness and thankfulness as we persist in prayer? And our confidence in God in prayer leads us from thinking about persistence in prayer and calling ourselves to that to thinking about the possibility of prayer. That's what I see in verse 3 where he says he's, his, the sum of his prayer is that, that he's asking for the Colossians, say, this is what I want you to pray for. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word. And then the second part of this prayer, verse 4, he's asking, pray that I may make that word clear. Pray that God would open a door and pray that I would make the word clear. The possibility of prayer. Hey, do, do you believe that prayer works. Do you believe that God hears and answers prayers? We probably all believe that, that God hears all prayers. I mean, how can he be omnipresent? Uh, how can he be omniscient and not hear? If he, if he knows my thoughts before I think them and my words before I speak them, he certainly knows my prayers. Right? It's not like he, he turns a deaf ear to that. He hears everything. He knows everything. But do you believe that God is listening? I think we know a difference between hearing and listening. Right? Uh, all husbands hear, good husbands listen. May I be a better husband. I read Leanna joke. This isn't in my notes. I read Leanna joke about husbands not listening, and we laughed. And then I, and then she was talking, and I went back to looking at other jokes about husbands. And then, and then I heard silence, and it was one of those, oh no, is there follow-up required? Am I supposed to agree or disagree? And what ironic timing! I joked about not listening, and then immediately proceeded to not listen. God's not like that. God is listening. Here's the thing. God is listening to your prayers. Your prayers. God is listening to your prayers. Do you believe that? Like you specifically? I mean, if we're being honest, we think that God listens to some of our prayers. Some of our prayers and, and, and lots of probably other people's prayers, people who are better than us, people who are more holy, people who are more important. We know that God hears, we know that God listens, that he acts, that he answers prayers, but probably it's other people's prayers. Like famous Christian people. They're the ones who God is eager to listen to. They're the ones that God is eager to answer. But probably not my prayers. Probably I'm, I'm too ordinary, too insignificant. Probably I'm not godly enough for God to listen to, to my prayers. Maybe someday. And how, how we need to be reminded of the gospel. More, more righteous, more, more holy, more loved. I mean, through faith in Christ, you 
believer, you are equally as righteous before God as Enoch, who walked with God. Moses, that God knew face to face. Daniel, the prophet, stopped the mouth of lions. You are as righteous, hear me, you are as righteous as the Apostle Paul or Peter or John. Because you are righteous in Jesus. You're as righteous as Augustine and Luther and Calvin. Your prayers matter as much as George Mueller and Charles Spurgeon or whatever other prayer biography you read and knew that one would never be written about you. God views you as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ, and listens to your prayers because of that standing. You and me. There is not a single saint in the kingdom of God who has more or less of the righteousness of Christ than any other. You are as welcome in the presence of God at his throne of grace than fill in the blank. Do you believe that? That's the gospel. Jesus' righteousness, not your own. And if we have all of the righteousness of Christ that we need, and there's not more, there's not less, there's just the perfection of that, then not a single child of God is more or less welcome before the throne of grace than any other. If we're not more righteous, then how could someone be more welcome? We are equally welcome. God's fatherly ear is bent down to hear your prayers, your prayers, and he is eager to answer your requests. We think of Paul as an excellent preacher, right? Paul, could there be a better preacher? How, How could the apostle to the Gentiles not be an excellent preacher? So, of course, his gospel preaching bore fruit. Of course, thousands of people get saved under Peter's preaching at Pentecost. Of course, churches are started almost instantly because of Paul's preaching. Because, I mean, he's Paul. But listen to how Paul describes his own ministry in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then he describes his his ministry there. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's ministry, I mean, who could deny it? It was clearly successful. But if his success could not be contributed to his own gifts and to his skill in preaching, and if it wasn't his abilities or his power of personality or persuasiveness, uh, then what was the power behind it? Why was Paul's ministry effective? Why 3,000 people saved at Peter's preaching in Pentecost if it wasn't about the sermon? It was God. God graciously intervening. The the reason behind Paul's success in ministry and the fruit that was born for that was God's work, God's work which he delights to do in answer to prayer. God delights to answer the prayers of his people for the advance of his kingdom. Because of sin, we are all blind and deaf to the gospel. We are dead 
even. That's your state. That was my state. The gospel made no sense to us and we weren't interested. That's how we are all born. But God graciously intervenes. This is what Paul prays for. This is what Paul calls on the Colossians to pray for. Oh God, open for Paul a door for the word. Give him the opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ. I think there are four parts to this prayer that I want to break, uh, break down for us. What are the four things that Paul is praying for? And the first is opportunities. Give Paul opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ and give his deaf hearers ears to hear. This is what I'm going to call open hearts. Give them the eyes to see the glory of Christ. Through your Holy Spirit, raise the dead to life that they might repent of their sins and trust in Christ. This is the sum and substance of what the prayer is that Paul's asking for, prayer that he had offered for himself that had been prayed for him and he wanted to continue to be prayed for him. We think about open doors, that God may open to us a door for the word. Broadly speaking, I think the door has to do with those opportunities, opportunities to share the gospel. Because Paul was being kept from preaching everywhere that he wanted to preach because he had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Now, Paul wants to travel Paul wants to go to all these different places and find those who had never heard the name of Christ before. He wanted to preach there, but instead he's in prison in Rome. And he wants those doors to be opened so that he can go. So one answer to this prayer would be, like we see in Acts in some different times, the opening of prison cell doors so he could continue his traveling gospel ministry. But, but more specifically, I don't think it's just opportunities, but, but what I have here is open hearts, God removing the barriers in people's hearts that keep them from hearing the gospel. That's what Paul's praying for, for these open hearts in those who hear wherever they are. Because even though Paul is imprisoned, the, the word of God, he says, is not bound. Wherever Paul was, he wanted to see and seize opportunities for preaching the gospel, whether in prison or out of prison. And this becomes so clear in Acts. I don't know the last time that you read through Acts. It's amazing to see uh, the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit advancing through the ministry of the apostles and others. Uh, Toward the end of the book, Paul preaches at the temple in Jerusalem. He's arrested, so he preaches the the gospel to the guards who arrest him. And then he preaches at his trial. And he's going to be, and he appeals to go to Rome. We talked about this a little bit during training hour today. And so while he's on this ship with the soldiers and other merchants, he preaches the gospel on the ship, carrying him to Rome. Then he's shipwrecked. They make it onto an island, so he preaches the gospel on the island. And then they make it to Rome, and he's under house arrest awaiting trial, so he preaches when he's under house arrest in Rome. Both to those who would come and see him voluntarily, that's kind of how Acts ends, but also I think we see him preaching to those who involuntarily had to be there, the rotation of Roman guards coming and being stationed with this crazy preacher, this crazy Jewish preacher. And as those shifts came through and people come, Paul undoubtedly is preaching to the, gospel, the gospel to them. He tells us that. Paul wrote to the Philippians when he's in prison in Rome, he wrote to them that the whole imperial guard knew that he had been imprisoned for Christ. 
imprisoned for the gospel. And then as he, he concludes that letter, he says that the saints in Caesar's household sent their greetings to the Philippians. Has the weight of that ever kind of sunk into your heart? People in Caesar's family, servants and other family members that lived in the palace in Rome, who not only had heard the gospel, not only knew it, but had come to believe it and knew that they had a unity with other brothers and sisters. There were saints in the palace of Caesar. The gospel had infiltrated all of these places. Perhaps some of those saints were were fruit from Paul's prison ministry. It's not a coincidence that Paul asked for prayer, for open doors, for ministry, and then saw people saved in very unlikely places. It's not a coincidence. It was an answer to prayer. Paul prayed. God's people prayed for Paul. God heard and God answered. And when you pray for open doors, for gospel opportunities for yourself and for others, God hears and God will answer. And we can be certain of that whenever we pray in his name, according to his will, of course he's going to be answered. And so as we pray for opportunities and open hearts for the gospel to be advanced, we don't have to wonder, is God going to answer this? It is God's eternal purpose to save his people and prepare a bride for his son. Yes, he's going to answer that provide opportunities and open hearts to hear the gospel. We truly, though, we do need more from God than just opportunities to speak. We're surrounded with them, but we all need boldness to speak, don't we? As many times as we might read that Paul felt weak and fearful and even trembled in preaching to the Corinthians, I don't think that we believe it. Right? I mean, picture, picture Paul. Do you think timid? I mean, he'd be like the guy in, the guy in Aldi, right? Can of tomatoes, red. You know, that reminds me of the blood of Jesus. Which, like, where did that come from? Right? He's like, that's Paul, right? Everywhere, just not just wearing a shirt that says "Ask me about Jesus," but just starting conversations with boldness. It's not how he describes himself. He felt bold because he was Paul, and we feel cowardly because we're just us. But that's not what the text says. Look at Paul's second request in verse 4. Pray for us. For who? For Paul, for Tychicus, for Timothy, for Epaphras, for Titus, for whoever else may be traveling. Pray for us that I may make the gospel, or it, that's what the word, the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul knew that there were times when he ought to speak when he didn't want to speak or didn't want to speak it clearly. This request speaks both to a boldness for him to seize the opportunities, the open doors that God gives him, and it speaks to our other fear. I think we have, sometimes we don't want to pray for opportunities because we don't want to take them because we're we're timid, we're cowardly, and, and probably the reason that we're timid, cowardly, or afraid is because of that making it clear. We don't want to get it wrong. Gospel is too important for us to get wrong. Maybe it's better to just leave it to somebody else. Paul felt that same concern. He didn't just want boldness. He wanted clarity in gospel preaching. So he prayed for that. 
What do we say? What, what if there's a question we can't answer? What if we get the gospel wrong? Paul shared that struggle. He longed for clarity. The man wrote, what, half of the New Testament, and he still wanted God's help in being clear in gospel presentations. Paul wanted to get it right. He wanted to be clear. He wanted to be unmuddied as he talked about Jesus, so he asks for prayer. And the same God who opens closed doors and provides boldness to go through those doors, even to apostles, is the same God who will guide us as his people in what to say. We need God in all of these things. Opportunities. Open hearts in the audience. And then for the the preacher or the, the Christian, for boldness and for clarity. We need God in all of these things. So let's pray for all of those things. And God answers in all of those things. He answered for Paul. He'll answer for us. So Let's pray. Our prayers for the advancement of the gospel, though, may seem very small to us. After all, what can can one prayer do? Well, what can one carrier pigeon accomplish? Well, on that fall afternoon in France, Cher Ami, that was the pigeon's name, Managed to survive the German gunfire, even though it it was actually shot. Lost an eye, eventually lost a limb. But that pigeon successfully delivered her message and stopped the artillery bombardment from the American artillery onto the American soldiers because they had miscalculated. Stopped that bombardment and saved the lives of more than 200 American soldiers. One pigeon carrying one short message. It wasn't because of the importance of the messenger. Many pigeons were shot down or died. It's just a pigeon. It wasn't because of the eloquence of the message. It was short and small enough that it could be tied to the limb of a bird. Why was the message effective? It was because of who received the message. Not because of the importance of the messenger, not because of the eloquence of the message, but simply because of the one who received the message. Do you see? And if a simple, humble request is placed before one who is powerful enough, then there is no limit to what can be accomplished. No limit to the possibility of prayer. Your prayers and my prayers won't be effective because of us. They can be effective because of God who listens to your prayers. I want to believe that. I, I don't, but I want to. Like, there's that I know what's true, but I don't really. But it's still that in my heart, yeah, true for other people. That's not the gospel. With man alone, everything is impossible. Like a donkey or camel entering through the eye of a needle, but. With God, all things are possible. Nothing on earth, especially in the advancement of Christ's kingdom, nothing happens without God. But anything can happen with God. There is no limit to the possibility of prayer to a sovereign God. There is no limit. Absolute possibility. 
infinite possibility, impossible possibilities. Prayer, not because of us, not because we multiply phrases like the heathen or the Gentiles do. Simple requests from righteous saints before a sovereign God. Do you believe this? You know it true to be true. I know you do. But again, there's the difference between knowing that it's true and believing that it's true and praying like it's true. So let's pray like it's true. And I, I mean it, actually. Let's pray. That, that's the third point, the practice of prayer. At the same time, Paul says, you know, you need to be, there's lots of things to pray for. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us. Well, there's not really a point of praying for Paul, right? Because Paul is long dead. <laughs> and so are Timothy and Epaphras and Tychicus and Aristarchus and others. There's no point in us praying for them or their ministries, but their heirs in gospel ministry abound throughout the world. And so I want us to take time to pray for gospel ministers right now. Because it's one thing to be like, so go and pray, and then we talk, and then we drive, and then there's lunch, and then there's naps, and, and then there's more food, and there's this, and there's that, and another day goes by, and we haven't prayed. So we're going to stop, and you're going to pray. <laughs> Hopefully you received a handout when you came in with the names of churches and communities and pastors on it. Uh, if you didn't get this, I uh, see Brett Short is there. If you wave, you don't have this half sheet of paper, you need one. And Brett will bring that to you. Thank you, brother. One side of it are a list of Appalachian churches and pastors. This is obviously not exhaustive. But Appalachia is the region in which we live, and some of these are partnerships that we are forming for the sake of the gospel in our region. If you wondered where Keith is, he's preaching at second from the bottom on the list, Twin City Bible Church in Nitro. Pastor Scott Bandy, he's preaching there today at a missions emphasis than they have. And on the other side of this list are a list of Ugandan churches and pastors, part of the network that God has used the McFarlands to start and to strengthen. Some of these are the men, leaders that, that, Paul, uh, that Paul Keith, Timothy went uh, to go visit to strengthen and to train. I know that you don't know many of these men or their churches. Let's be honest, some of these, we're going to say their names wrong. I remember the first time I said Kiwoko, and then Ken Smith was like, it's, it's Chiwoko. <laughs> did I get it right that time? I think I did. Okay, good. Phew. So, you, oh, I don't, I don't know them. Never met them. Maybe I won't ever meet them in this life. And Keith wanted me to add for the brothers in Uganda uh, that you could go with him on one of his trips, and then you do get to meet them here in this life. But you will live and worship with them for eternity. And whether we know them or not, God knows them, and we can partner together with them for the sake of Christ and for his gospel. So for the next 15, I'm going to set a timer on my watch for 20 minutes. We're going to break up into smaller groups with those seated around us. We're going to pray with thanksgiving for these pastors, these churches, these communities. We're going to pray that God would open doors for his word so that the mystery of Christ might be declared and that these pastors and their fellow elders and other leaders and the members of their churches, that they would make the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ clear as they declare it, which is how they ought to speak. And you'll notice that we're on here too, fourth from the bottom, because we need the same help that all these churches do. 
And as we pray for them, we pray for these churches, these, these communities, I want to remind you that the proclamation of the gospel is not limited to just a few professionals. Couldn't list all of the memberships of all of these churches here. So pray these same things for yourself and for those around you also. Pray for not just us. Pray for yourself. As you pray for our church, remember the people, the members of each of these churches. Include them in your prayers. Believers of all ages, you, Christian, you are righteous before God and welcome in his presence because of Jesus. Righteous. Welcome. So as you go to prayer, remember this promise from James 5. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So let's pray. You have this list split up. Feel free to pray through the list more than once if you're efficient. Because we're going to take 20 minutes. And what's going to be on the screen is just a rotation of verses. If you're like, well, what should I pray? Well, you could pray this passage, which we have. And every minute or so, a new Bible verse is going to come up. Something about the proclamation of the gospel. Something for those who are proclaiming the gospel. So you can look up and do that. But I call you to pray.